Hi everyone, welcome back to Chat Shit, Get Fit, and welcome back to Chatting with PTs. This is a series where we chat with various health professionals from a wide range of backgrounds about a wide range of topics. This week, we chat with Alexis LeVay, who is often associated with his Instagram page, No Bullshit Physio, a page that specializes in weaponizing memes, as we'll come on to. So yeah, we love his stuff, and we've been following him for quite a while, and when I did tell Tom that he's coming on the podcast, it was like speaking with a teenage girl that has just got tickets to One Direction. I'd probably say this episode is a bit heavier in terms of information as we explore the field of physiotherapy, so how education is delivered and what needs improving, the good, the bad in general, how Alexis navigates the field to stay effective, his red flags for research papers, uh, exploring the experience versus science topic of discussion, and we also get some action steps in regards to dealing with pain, and spoiler alert, motion is lotion. We also get him to play a game where he ranks pretty well-known experts, and I say that in quotations, in order of bat shit craziness. So yeah, let's get into it. Good evening, gentlemen. Well, I say good evening, actually, our guest is in Florida, and I'm guessing it it's the afternoon. It, look, it, looks very, it looks very bright. Is it an evening, is it? Is it the evening for you? Uh, it's like five. Yeah, it looks very bright though. A lot of sunshine still. It is uh, 10 to 9 in the evening here in the UK. Uh, I'm a bit jealous actually because I had to run home from work in the pissing rain and in the dark as well. And then, uh, yeah, we have our guest who is currently in Florida. So I'm very jealous, very jealous indeed. And talking of guests, yeah, uh, Alexis, very excited to have you here because... um, yeah, I mean, so like I'm a massive fanboy, aren't you? Let's be honest. I, I am. I'm a massive fanboy. I've followed you pretty much since the beginning. So this is going to be a, yeah, this is pretty awesome. I've got to kind of fan myself a little bit here because I am fanboying a little bit. So I'm going to take a step <laughs> back and let Bill take over while I yeah. take a sip of my nutritious root beer. So while Tom calms down, we'll, uh, we'll get into the episodes. We are back with a chat with PTs. And you probably heard in the intro I did that I told you, well, I spun you some shit all about Alexis and what he's about, but we are going to go into more depth now and have a bit of fun at the same time. So if you've been with us before, you know we like to start all of these episodes with establishing our guests' top three gym pet peeves. Now, Alexis, we are going to rank these. So when you do say them, we're going to we're going to rank them using a scale. Now, Tom is in charge of the scale. I'm not sure where he's going to go with it this week, but we'll uh, go on, Tom. Uh, I'm going to keep it simple, but first of all, I want to I want to say we can expand things here. So instead of it just being okay. gym pet peeves, it could be the world of physio as well. Um, if you want to mention names as well, feel free to. Uh, I know there's a lot out there we can mention. Um, so we usually use the RPE scale when we're in an exercise-based environment, uh, perceived exertion, with one being the lowest, 10 being the highest. We're going to use the RPF scale this week. So we're going to do the rate of perceived fuckery on just how annoying this pet peeve is. So one being, that's okay actually, that's not too bad, to 10 being like, this is like, you know, this is a lot of fuckery here. This is a, a lot, lot of fuckery. Intense amounts of fuckery. 10, that is severe fuckery. That is fuckery to failure. Yeah. I like it, yeah, um, awesome. <laughs> I didn't prepare, so. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. Uh, you, you, um, probably the one would be uh, people who are doing like very, very long warm-ups, because I don't think oh. that's warranted. Um, to me, you just need to warm up with the the empty bar. I think it's a very common one that people are pissed off with. Uh, it's just a waste of time. Um, the other one would be like people struggling. Well, rank it like, first, Alexis. Hold your hold your horses, Alexis. We're gonna we'll rank it first, mate. We need to go. And oh, rank there. it. We're gonna uh, rank your pet peeve number three. Uh, three for you, is it? On the RPF scale, um, 
probably like a five. Honestly, I'm, I mostly don't care about people at the gym, so I don't think I'm going to get a, a 10. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we've done a yeah. whole podcast this topic, Alexis. We did one. <laughs> it was a part of our myth series back in the early days where it was the myths was warming up. Um, and it, we just went through pretty much you just said there about people spending ages with Theraguns and bands. Yeah, and, just to clarify, like warming up is not a myth. Um, yeah, warming up is not a myth, up, yeah. But it's how, how people warm up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, warming yeah. up is myth. It's fake news. Just don't warm up. Go straight yeah. into I've, your heavy sets. <laughs> I think I'm just pretty appreciative because uh, in Canada, the gyms have been out for uh, like months. Mm. So like for me, just being in the gym is like being grateful. Um, so yeah, I feel like bad, almost bad complaining just because of all the lockdowns. But I'll still go because I like complaining. So I'll go. Um, second is probably people like um, doing like a lot of like activation exercises. Uh, like I saw a guy, yeah, I had a guy who I saw obviously had barefoot shoes. Um, he was wearing, uh, he had two bands. He had one around the knees and one around, one around the ankles. It's like, if you know how physics work, that's, that doesn't make sense, right? Because one's going to be loose and the other's going to be, it just doesn't make sense. It was probably like a functional patterns guy. Oh, uh, oh well, we, I said we can mention names. Yeah, we can, uh, we can mention Naudi. <laughs> I have no problems with like functional patterns. I have like a lot of them follow me and we're in good terms. It's just the ones who are hardcore. I think it's yeah. the real cult. So the people who are more like they use it. I think it's yeah. it's an okay tool, especially for people who wrestle. Uh, just for general population, I don't, I don't see the relevance to be honest. Unless it's the one thing that you like doing. Like some people do like doing flips, and that's not functional at all. But <laughs> yeah, it gets you moving. That's fine. Yeah, I like it. I like, I like that, uh, Alexis. We uh, funny you said that as well. Barefoot shoes. We did a podcast that a few weeks ago on barefoot shoes and toe spaces and all that. And yeah, we're all like, we're, I feel like yeah, yeah. I'm doing a post on that. I'm trying to look for research, and uh, it's like the research is pretty surprising, but it's not. It's not yeah. as solid as like people like what you make it look at. Uh, yeah, we we to came be. to um, what do we we kind of said we found some stuff that improved about foot strength. We found some bits on that. Um, yeah. in terms of like injury stuff we found one on running which literally said the only way that barefoot shoes improved um, like reducing injury risk was doing less running yeah. wearing them <laughs> compared to where it so it was like, there's it was one like, no there's one in the military where um, they showed the injury reduction but it's just one study and it was yes. picked the most comfortable shoe I think we actually spoke about from. that Bill yeah we spoke about yeah, it yeah we spoke about yeah. that um, but yeah going back to warm-ups like to to me, like, if I was to think that, that would... Do you know what? I'm going to say a five as well, actually, because very much like yourself, like, yeah, if people ain't doing anything that's inherently harmful, like, crack on, you know, I don't really mind. But it's more to do with, like, the message behind it where people think, I know they have to do these long, drawn-out, non-specific warm-ups. So, yeah, like, uh, the whole, like, um, clams with bands before squats. If people feel like they feel better doing it beforehand, then cool. But it's when... You know, we get these like big accounts that say, "No, no, you have to do these warm-up exercises. You have to, you have to activate your glutes because apparently I that's." I think they're thing. tens. I think they're. The, I think that it's five of the people doing it because they might not know better. But I think it's tens oh, of the yeah, people the that are professionals spread the accounts that yeah. push and say this non-negotiable. You know. Yeah. Get, yeah. Yeah. They're you 10. have to. Uh, you have to do these external rotations before you hit the bench press because apparently the only way to warm up your rotator cuff is to do yeah external rotations with uh, bands and cables. But uh, yeah, like if people feel better doing it, crack on, go for it. But I just hate the idea of the message that like, you have to do it. Uh, very much like what you said earlier, I just, I the, the way I warm up is I just do the exercise I'm warming up for, but a much lighter weight and a low intensity yeah, and ramp up intensity, from there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that one I probably graded um, five as well. I'm going to be the yeah. boring one. Just yeah. the, um, the fence third one is the fence. actually, I just found one that is really irritating to me is when I see all the girls doing like the 
bodyweight workout. I say girls, there's guys doing it, but it's mostly girls. And that's why it irritates me. It's because I think it's an expression of like sexism because it's like all the girls doing like these warmups to be lean or to be toned or whatever. Yeah, wrote, and they're yeah. doing like unweighted, like camel, uh, what do you call it? Like camel kicks back or, or whatever. The, yeah. It's almost like it's the, targeted as if almost like, you know, women have to work in a certain rep range away from men, you know. God, yeah, God forbid you just do any other training that any other human would do. Yeah. I think it stems back to that whole thing of women are scared of lifting weights in case they get bulky. So they like to do these these toning toning workouts, yeah. as we said. And if you go on YouTube now and just type in workout routine, most of it is just women. There's just loads of women pushing. So you're right in a way, it's literally just loads of them doing these workouts. And I think that's where it stems from is that that's all people see. And then they get people saying that if they lift weights, they're going to get massive. And then, mm. yeah, they get funneled down the toning route. And it's fucking carnage. Yeah, and it's again, that's why it annoys me. It's the double expression of like um, macho culture. Because, first mm. of all, like you're probably not, you, it's just more effective if you use weights and you're not going to get bulky by accident. So, the way I frame it to patients is like being afraid of getting bulky by lifting weights is like being afraid of being a, becoming like a nice car driver by stepping into your car. It's like it doesn't make sense. Like it's really hard to get bulky. Like yeah, ask exactly, anyone yeah. who wants to get bulky, they'll yeah. tell you they're, they're small. And then, <laughs> um, especially women who have like less testosterone and stuff like that. But the, the other thing is that um, it's also like, what if you get bulky? Like that's fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what's not going to be yeah. ugly. There's preferences definitely, and if, if yeah. it doesn't fit the aesthetics you want to go for, that's fine. But there's, I think, some people like would like to get bulky, but they won't because of what society is telling them. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And we do live in a society, don't we? We do, we do live in a society. <laughs> we do live in a society. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah. But yeah, like something you just said there that's quite interesting. That is like, yeah, like um, people kind of like underestimate or overestimate even like how much is kind of like needed to actually get bulky in the first place. I mean, like uh, there are there are guys that spend like seven days in the gym, you know, purposely trying to get bulky and like, if their progress is going nowhere, then like just being a female and touching a barbell isn't inherently going to make you like, yeah, turn to the She-Hulk. And if that was your goal in the first place, crack on and go for it. Um, I think things are getting kind of better in a way. Like I'm seeing women, I mean, it might just be me anecdotally witnessing this myself personally, but I do see women getting on barbells more often, going into squat racks. Um, I think in a weird way, even though social media can be completely cancerous at times, I think it has showcased that, you know, more women get into barbells, you know, powerlifters. We've got some really strong female lifters out there, etc. So I'm glad to kind of see like it, given that uh, entry for women to getting into weights, you know. So I'm kind of happy in that regard. What are you going to say, Alexis? Five? Um, for me, no, that's higher. That's probably like oh, a, an eight. Oh, oh wow. Um, and it's funny that you're mentioning that, that women are getting into it. Uh, Eric Myra at, um, Eric Mara, sorry, had um, a blog on this on uh, ACLs. And, you know, like women are much more likely to get ACL tears. Oh, I didn't know he, that. Um, mm. It's very, like, it's much higher. I don't remember the rate, but it's, I think it's like three to six times more. I don't remember, but it's much higher. Um, and he speculated that part of it was possibly cultural because women are told, like, don't go to the weight room, don't get bulky, sure. don't do this, don't do that. Whereas if you get a guy, typically, I mean, there's ex- exceptions, obviously, but they're like, go rough and tumble and with the kids and everything. And like obviously men on average are stronger even if we did the same thing as women but there's a lot of it that comes from the fact this the stuff we were doing before you know just as an example my sister like i was doing like six sports when i was a kid and you know doing push-ups and all that stuff my sister was doing um 
uh, we call it uh, figure skating, which like makes you strong, but not as strong as doing weights for, for you know, yeah. obviously. There's probably a component to that, and I think it will probably bridge the gap of like ACL injuries with the fact that women are doing more weights now, in my opinion, yeah. because that's one way we can reduce injuries. Some good pet peeves there. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not surprised at the pet peeves they were coming from you, They're very, very on brand there, very on brand. But we are going to move on now. We're going to move on to a more serious note. And I say this every week, but we'll see how it goes. It might be serious. It might be chaos. We'll find out mm. very shortly. I do tend to derail it, so I'll apologise in yeah. advance. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Do we go for it? Right, so I'm going to ask you a question now. I'm going to try and say your name as well without you telling me how to say it. We're going to, we're going to go for it. I'm going to, I reckon I can nail this. Right, so I'm going to ask you, who is Alexis Lavelli? Lavelli. That's That was close. I was close. Basically, I want you to, how would you describe yourself? If someone was to ask you, how would you define yourself? What would, what would you say? You mean someone who's asking me in the streets? Well, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah, anyone, like a, any, yeah, anyone, yeah. Yeah, yeah any, anyone, yeah. Just anyone. Who, who are you? Um, I'm Alexi. I'm a physical therapist and I, I hate bullshit. So I I just like to use, I like I'm aggressively pro-science. So I tell a fault. Um, so whenever there's science on something, I'm going to look it up before having an opinion. Um, so online, what I do is I try to dispel some of the information in a way that makes me laugh. Because if you don't laugh, <laughs> you're gonna cry. So I'd rather laugh, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, so yeah, I just try to dispel some of the information uh, and bring make people more passionate about evidence-based practice. But mostly, I want people to question. So I, sometimes people are like, "But you're not telling anyone what to do." It's not my goal. My goal is to make people more. Um, like question what they're doing so that you know it can be sustainable right because in my opinion that's that's the role of university as well like if you tell someone to do something it might be updated in like two years right if you teach them how to think and be like hey be skeptical question what you know that's a lifelong lesson that they can apply in everything in their life so um i get that complaint a lot that's one of the reasons i started my uh my other page with the pragmatic rehab principles with my friends because we do want to teach people and you know be rewarded for um getting people to do a better job with their practice and integrate information better. But my personal page goal is just to make people more skeptical. Like, I guess like a way I could frame it very succinctly and that's not, I didn't come up, come up with this. It's a friend who said that I would describe myself as like, <laughs> it's a bit pretentious, but like the Socrates of physio, <laughs> which is okay. Cause yeah. physio is fucking boring. So um, <laughs> I guess just the equivalent, the wannabe Socrates of physio, cause uh, I'm not there to teach you. I'm there to teach you what you don't know. Yeah. I like that. I think yeah. I think the big big, big takeaway there really is what's the, what what we the saying? What is the one we always say about the, the you can feed a blooming or you can lead a horse to water or something. You can't make a drink like that. That sort of thing. Yeah. You have to you have to know what you're looking for and how to use that information as opposed to just having the information. Because if you've just got the information and you don't really know where it's come from, how it's got there, hmm. you know all the all the little nuances in context, then it doesn't really mean anything. I think well, that's, that's what you're doing with your page. If we are going to come onto your pages, don't worry. We've, we've you know, as, yeah. so, as, of course, we're going to go on to that. Um, so we'll start at the beginning, really. So I want to kind of get into your story a little bit because people who have known you will know your page, will know kind of what, you, what you're about. But I want to know, is, when did you enter that, that sort of realisation that you wanted to enter the uh, the physiotherapy field? Because as we come on to, it's a very messy field. Uh, lots of chaos out there in the world, hence why your, your page is sort of uh, blown up, I'd like to say. So kind of what when did you decide you want to step into it? Uh, I wanted to get into medicine, but I had like just a short, like 
almost like exactly the grade, but just not high enough. So I applied, didn't get in. So I went to physio, which was my plan B because it looks like medicine. And then, uh, cause I like sports. So I was like, it's like medicine, but for sports, um, I didn't know how ethic it was. So I didn't like it at first. Um, so I left and I went to law school, uh, for a year. I came back, finished my master's in, in physical therapy, and then I practiced. I've been practicing for six years. I was, I've been self-employed for the last five years, I think, um, just because it's a context where I don't have a boss and I have supervision. I can do whatever I want, which is good because like any place I'd work, I think it'd be. <laughs> I just get into arguments with people. Like whenever someone from Montreal follows me, like I just question what they're doing, and they just start unfollowing me. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you said that. Like. Oh, that- touching on that then how how was your um what was your experience educationally then because obviously you, what you're knowing now how how was it like looking back was it a physiotherapy has changed a lot in like the past years with like you know like the more prevalence of like pain science etc and not being overly reliant on like just biomechanical models now where we've got the biopsychosocial model i mean how's it kind of changed for yourself like i mean yeah, how's it changed for you? Like, I mean, if I can pivot to the, the first question, like if I when I was uh, at McGill, which is where I went, um, it was a really good like technical school. Like all the other classes we had were like wonderful. Like we had classes with like no Nobel candidates and all that stuff. Like doing one one module and then the other was like another like literally the leader in the field. So the, the core thing was very very solid. I like the medical science and all that stuff. That was terrific. And then you know for philosophy classes, I had like the classmates of like Peter Singer, like you went to Harvard and shit. Like it was, it was wonderful. But then we had the physio classes, which uh, <laughs> are not that solid. So some were really good. So I had like, if I can name names, like the David Preuss and then uh, Mark Roy, they were doing a solid job. Maybe I would have done the presentation better, but the content was really, really good. And then we had some other classes that were honestly just fucking pseudoscience. Mm. And that's where I had an issue. Uh, we had like one course of pain science. That class was also very solid. I think Timothy Weidman gave in that class. Um, it's pretty solid in the field, but um, that was just one class. So like most of the classes were the biomedical model. And then we had like pretty much like maybe three classes that had some component of pain science. Um, the good parts were where we were talking about like how multiculturalism was an impact, had an impact on how physio was delivered. And yeah. when I was on my rotations, you really see it because I was treating... Um, call it like the north more northern program or whatever so we got these people these i'll be honest i don't know if it's the right term uh the inuit population okay. people who live in the north yeah uh, they don't have hospitals there so they have to fly people so they basically they would get into like skidoo accidents and stuff and they would come to the hospital and see me and you see their relationship with pain is completely different than well, us, like the French Canadian way. So like French Canadian people are all like, ah, don't do this. And for them, like the whole family yeah. was there and they were like chanting for me to push harder. <laughs> oh and like God. the guy was crying. He was like, harder, harder. I was like, okay, <laughs> completely different. So yeah, uh, th- that part was interesting. But again, there's a lot of it that wasn't great. Um, what I like about the university is they, they taught us really well how to um, learn like to stay evidence-based and they encouraged us to do it. I just think it was really boring the way it was, it was taught. So, like, if you wanted to learn it, I think you had all the tools you had. And for me, I didn't really do it until I came out of the university because, again, I thought it was boring and I didn't know I wanted to actually do physio uh, after. But I had the basics to after learning it on my own, you know? How does that work? So you said you said they're, like, very evidence-based, right? Like, they were pushing it. But then there was also, like, the, the, the pseudoscience class almost. How do they come to that sort of – how do they deliver that 
those lessons and stuff, but still they're kind of contradicting each other. Do you know what I'm trying to say? It's like one on one hand, that one hand they're saying, oh, it's really important to be evidence based and all this, but on the other hand, they're teaching you pseudoscience. Like, um, are they so not sitting down and going, this is like, silly? Yeah. <laughs> it depends on the class. So um, there were some classes that were purely good. Um, others, uh, there was the ones that were like purely pseudoscience, was like the manual therapy class. Hmm. Um, which I'm not saying manual therapy doesn't work, it works just not for the reasons they're presented and not. The evaluation and the clinical reasoning should not be the way it was taught in class. Um, but it was just that teacher was not evidence-based. And she was like the only one who didn't have a PhD. Uh, she was just like a practitioner. I think maybe she had like a master's in, um, what do you call it, in uh, manual therapy? Because we yeah. do have that in Canada. I mean, I say master. I don't consider that a master. But <laughs> do they not talk to each other though? Do they not like vet these people and like go through? They're not like... Honestly, I... I have no idea. I'll be well, honest. Maybe it doesn't sound like it. There. And, She's and been there for a long time. Um, at least, at least we could say it's not an echo chamber. At least, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, that's true. true. That's true. Um, yeah. But the teachers have wanted to get her out for a long time, and they actually she got. I think I don't know if she got fired, but she's not there. And yeah. I have a friend who talked to the teacher, and he was like, "Yeah, the one who's the um, the head of the physio school now, from what I've heard, was not supportive of what she was teaching." Um, mm. And then he had other classes which were. I mean, I guess they were okay. The problem was that they were given by a teacher that was very proficient in something. So for like electrical modalities and like ultrasound and all that stuff, she was really good at what she was teaching. The problem is she got her PhD and all her funding was from teaching something that to me, in my opinion, is not relevant to clinical practice anymore. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to fire the teacher that has tenure because she discovered that something doesn't really work? <laughs> it's yeah, like she, she can't just pivot to a different course. So I think she was kind of stuck in that model because it was like ultrasound and all that stuff was a couple courses. I think it was like two or three courses. So she can't just pivot to be like, Hey, I'm just going to teach neuroscience, even though I've, I've no training in it, you know? So, um, I think there's a bit of politics and, uh, kind of sunk cost that led yeah. to that. Their courses being contradicting. How did you, so, so you mentioned that it was only till afterwards you really got, you, you dove into the, edu- uh, the evidence-based stuff. So kind of all I know is how, how have you, what has been your method to stay up to date throughout your career since you've, you've left your studies? Like what has been your go-to to keep you up to date um, and to make sure you are staying evidence-based? Um, I mean, I don't think I've always been that passionate. Like I think it started, um, I got like a supervisor on my first clinical rotation and he showed me that a lot of the things that um, I didn't like were actually not supported by the evidence. And I think that sparked the plug because I was like, oh, I'm not stupid. It just might not be uh, accurate. And then I Fall, fell down the Adam Eakins uh, rabbit uh, hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of yeah. everything, and through him and listening to podcasts and just doing my own research, I think I learned, um, you know, how to peruse the evidence myself. But it wasn't something I was doing from the start. Um, so yeah, that's how I got into it. Like, can you repeat the question? I think I forgot. I just I was basically saying like, how how have you? What's been your method? Is it just been surrounding yourself with those people then, and just sort of as you said, listening to content, like to make sure you're evidence based? Or uh, it's been really evolving, to be honest. At first, I was just um, you know taking courses. So I took a lot of courses my mm. first year, uh, like the most I could do, uh, and going out out of pocket and all that stuff. And then I started doing it for myself when I I was just taking courses in the United States and like traveling around, which was really fun. Uh, it's just at one point I got to the point where I was arguing with the teacher because I didn't agree with what they were teaching. And I was like, that guy doesn't know. Like, why is he teaching me? Like, he's not better than me. So I decided to just scrap the program and just do my own thing and reading the research. 
so that's how I got it, and I got more and more passionate about it. And then since I got my page, like, kind of blowing up, we'll say, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. that's when, uh, you know, I have discussions daily, and I have to do posts, so I have to keep up with the evidence. And usually mm. when I post is when I find a good study, so you find, it's kind of like the Wikipedia rabbit hole, right? You find one study, and then you find another one, and you find another one, and it's just never-ending. So I post the most interesting thing that I saw that day, and that's usually where the evidence goes. Or I get into arguments, and I'm like, hey, I'm going <laughs> to... Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna see well. that guy's wrong, but if he's wrong, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna roast him. Uh, I mean, uh, the thing I know we're gonna kind of talk about like your social media a little bit later on, so I don't want to pull the trigger too soon. But another cool thing is that you've actually like you've almost like weaponized memes. <laughs> weaponized <laughs> memes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've seen it quite a few times where people have said like, "Oh, it's very hard to talk about evidence-based practice on social media because there's just not enough in the caption to basically." explain the nuances of the context or you know of a uh, of certain say studies let's say but i don't know there's something about like a really well done meme that just catches your attention that makes you go to that caption afterwards and uh, yeah i think it's the next step in like evidence-based warfare so to speak weaponizing <laughs> memes you know <laughs> to draw attention to it and then uh, yeah i've got to say like yeah 10 out of 10 like uh, <laughs> you're doing really good on that front <laughs> what, why did we start doing this podcast because people evidence-based stuff can be boring let's be honest like r- just putting out scientific papers is dead is it's, it's boring for most people whereas if you put a bit of entertainment behind it put a bit of excitement behind it i mean it is boring until you actually like i mean i know certain studies i mean the whole thing with like uh mcgill and his pig spine still fascinates yeah, like me yeah. it's yeah, actually like that, yeah. i've got a morbid fascination with the idea of him and you look at the machine that he actually stuck the pig spines in it's like this is horrifying this is like the basis of a horror film you know it's like saw but for pigs the funny thing is, is we can talk about like pig spines but he mostly used um for recall he mostly used um goat spines because they're the really? ones that look the most. Yeah, it, interestingly enough, he used cervical goat spines to talk about the lumbar spine. The reason is that they're the ones that look the most like the lumbar, the human lumbar spine. But I don't know. People, I don't know why the pig caught on. I think it's because of functional memeology. He's the one who started it. Yeah, sure. I just saw pulsing spines and just assumed. That I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As I said, horrifying. Either way. Horrifying, yeah. But entertaining. That's the exception of entertainment, evidence-based stuff. Yeah, but as you said, most evidence-based stuff can be pretty boring, so it's good that there's people out there. Like it's obviously like it's like we're trying to do the podcast as well, make it a bit more exciting. So normal people can listen and go, oh wow, that's interesting, instead of going, Oh, science is boring. I mean it's part of teaching. Like who do you remember? Do you remember the from school? Who do you remember as a teacher? Do you remember the the teacher was the best, like the most accurate information guy? Like, oh, that guy, that teacher was so fucking accurate. No, you were like, oh, that that teacher was funny and the teacher was engaging. So I think in a way, a meme is just a quick way to reach people and people have shorter attention spans. I do. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And sometimes it triggers an emotional response as well, Yeah, (laughs) which can make you go to the caption afterwards. There are some papers on memes, actually, like memes being used for education. They're terrible, though. There's like, I read two and they're basically (laughs) like, hey, I do memes and I like it. And it's like... 12 pages it's like okay great guy i mean it's you, you, could, uh, you could do a meme on that yeah a meme on a paper of memes yeah it's yeah. like inception. actually i'm looking for yeah. something to publish maybe i should publish about memes yeah, yeah. memeception a, a, a meme on a meme study there you go cool we're going down the rabbit hole now aren't we that is really getting there awesome <laughs> uh if we move on alexis i want to talk about sort of what you think now so when we look at the world of physiotherapy we've already alluded to and we've probably made it pretty clear now it can be a bit messy in terms of information out there and there's you know you could say 
good and bad guys out there. Um, but what would you say is the biggest problem in the world of physiotherapy and what do you think is the best way to tackle it? Uh, where to start? Um, <laughs> We've got all night. We've got all night. Honestly, it's not a big one, but I think all right, it is a big one. Um, it's more general, but I think there's a lot of overtreatment. So one of the reasons I left my clinic is because he was the the way the clinic worked is the more I see patients, the more I get paid. Not like the more patients I see, the more I see one patient. And I was like, you understand that this encourages like poor care, right? Yes. If I can see if I can solve a patient's problem or like help a patient through a problem with three visits instead of like three times a week. Who would you say is the best physio? And it's like obviously the one who takes less, fewer visits, right? But that's not how the compensation system works. So I think that's one of the biggest problems. So that's for me, I switched like the more I practice, the less I see my patients because right? I I think I'm more familiar with the natural history of things. Well, I think you could see the problem in two ways. You could see it as physios not knowing the natural history and prognosis of conditions and thinking that like everything that happens is because of them. Uh, the other would be that you know, they just, they're not self-critical enough. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't think the system, and again, that's the, that's the norm. Like I made some calculations based on the, I think in the USA, they did a poll and like the median number of visits per week was like twice a week. And like a lot of people see them three times a week. Mm. I haven't seen a patient twice in a week in like a few years. And I usually see patients like on a two week basis or maybe like a monthly basis. And I try to space it out if it's a chronic problem. Do you reckon these, some of these practitioners are taking advantage of the naivety of some of their patients because the patient is probably going, is potentially, they're, they're, they're seeing an authority on an issue. They're going to assume whatever they say is gospel. Um, and some of these practitioners might think, well, if they see me twice this week, I get paid double. If they see me three times, I get paid triple. And they just get blinded by the dollar signs. Um, and maybe that's the reason. Like you look at chiropractors, for example. Oh, see me next week because we need to maintain what we've just done ah, today and then they go analogy whole, you're a car that needs fixing and yeah you're a, and they, they, they're there every they're there for like a back mot every few weeks to get the back cracks and it's like yeah. so like they must know deep down that if they're having to see them every few weeks that they're not really dealing with the problem they might they can't yeah. be that stupid you know is a um i'll be honest i don't think a lot of physios know i think there are some that are willfully doing it i think some clinic owners definitely know but don't care because it's just more profitable not to do the right yet. thing but um, I think a lot of physios are just nice people who don't like to question things. So I, I honestly think the majority of them just don't know. Really? And when you question it, it's like, oh, it's just the way it is. It's like, okay, um, you know, a lot, most people don't like to question things. So like if you work in, um, I think if you switch the compensation pattern to something like, you know, more like hospitals where you can make it competitive and get more, you know, better, a better salary for doing your job better, you probably see that people will treat their patients less, right? Um it's just not the way it's structured. So um, again, I think most people don't like to question. And if you have a structure that pays you not to question, you're probably not going to question, right? Because it's unpleasant. So why would you do something unpleasant for less money? It's a systemic issue, then, isn't it? It needs to be. Need, there needs to be a big change for that to for that actually to change. Yeah. Top I mean, down approach. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you'd really do all that. You'd probably have to go. Yeah, go to the top. Attack the top. Maybe we just kick off. Maybe the meme page will get so big they'll have to listen. <laughs> they'll have to make a change they'll be like there's too many memes on us we need to stop the new the new, the new core structure of education will actually have a whole section on just memes yeah <laughs> just on memes so then you'll get the quacks we'll get good at it yeah that's that true, is very yeah. true oh god help us yeah yeah that's all we need that's everyone yeah squat university meme university <laughs> yeah oh yeah meme university yeah <laughs> brand new oh god yeah I think we've got enough universities out there, there yeah. so on Instagram god no more of those 
So what I want to know now is we class ourselves as a, an evidence-based podcast, is what we if you say. You know, half the time we're just chatting to an absolute extent, shit. Yeah. yeah, to an extent, yeah. Um, and no doubt, our, you know, our listener base over the you know the, the year and a half, whatever we've been doing this podcast, they're probably getting very intrigued to the world of scientific literature. I'd like to hope that was the, the aim. Um, however, we know that all not all science is not created equal, right? We we know this, you know. Two papers can be very different in a quality. One can be amazing, one can be you know, awful. But to the naked eye, someone who has no idea, they wouldn't know the difference. So what I really know is, um, what would be your red flags when it comes to identifying poor quality pieces of literature? So what would be like your go-tos, really? Um, I think the best way is to start by you look at a paper and you ask, and sometimes they'll list it. Good papers do that. They'll list the hypotheses. If they don't, that's a minor flag. It's not that big of a deal because some good studies don't. But you look at the paper and you try to answer like what's what's the question and then you look at the, the it sounds really simple but honestly it's, i think it's a game changer you look at the methodology and you look for what's called like internal validity so for example i was reading a paper just before this i think it was from um 2018 right it was on um, thoracic spine rotations and they said that basically being in an awkward position was dangerous when you were lifting if you were rotated to the opposite side when you were under load okay so it sounds okay the problem is that first of all it was done in a, ca- a cadaver but the problem is they compared loading rates so group a was awkward position with heavy loads at a high loading rate so they were loading really suddenly and then the other was like low loading rate so they were loading gradually and they saw more uh tears or like disc ruptures in the group with the high ro- loading rate like, what does that tell you? That tells you that loading rate is dangerous. It doesn't tell yeah. you that it's the position, right? But the conclusion of the paper is like, hey, this position should be avoided at work. So there's no internal validity. Sure. Um, so that's usually what I tell people. You ask a question, what's the question of this paper? And then you look at the methods per se, and then you wonder if it can answer this from a basic standpoint. Because that, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? But the problem is people will be out there and they'll read an abstract, for example, and they will read that conclusion and they'll run away with it. And they said, oh, that takes two seconds to read the methods and go, what they've actually seen is is that the people who did a more acute load, <laughs> it, their injuries went up, and that, that straight away will just be that that should give you the answer automatically straight away. So it sounds simple, but yeah, it's people they like to cherry pick. <laughs> yeah, there's and also if you look at studies on spin, I think I did a post on this. Um, the spin is much more prevalent in the conclusion in the conclusion. So the conclusion part of the abstract compared to the discussion. So if you want to, yes, yeah. Yeah, and what I do, honestly, when I do papers, I basically don't read the discussion anymore. I just look at the results and I yeah. come to my own conclusions. And then sometimes I look at the conclusion to see if they match, mm-hmm. you know, because um, I don't I think the the worst part is to read only the conclusion. If you're going to do something, read only the methods and then maybe skip to the results Yeah. Um, and don't read the conclusion. Because, again, they're very often misleading. There's some good papers out it's there. It's a high risk of bias in discussions sometimes. Very high. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was it's it's above fifty percent of spin. Like if I recall, the conclusion it's very very high, so pretty bad. And then again, I I'd focus if you have you know, if you're talking about someone who has time, obviously taking the time is the best thing, right? You read the whole paper. Um, but if you don't, uh, I would focus on the paper that has a lot of um, like the highest population number because Deschamps did a systematic analysis in 2013 uh, on like the small study effect, and he looked at all studies and he showed that basically. If you have a study that has less than 50 um, subjects, there's a 48% increase in the effect size. So that's pretty large, right? So let's say if you, you're going to gain like 20 pounds of muscle from an intervention, if the study size is less than 50, well, that would be 40 pounds, which, you know, ridiculous, right? Um, 
So I'd focus, if you had to pick one study, pick the one with the large, largest sample size, if you have to pick one. The other option would be to stick to meta-analysis, which are usually better, but they can be very, very biased, so it's it's hard. So yeah, again, I, I'd say pick the biggest randomized control trial, like the part, biggest population, and then read that, and if you're interested, read more. And what you said there was focus on looking, you know, go to the method and then look at the results because then you can make your own conclusion from that. You know what they, you know what the method is, you know how they've conducted it, you know, know the results they've got and make your own conclusion basically because as you said, it, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't take a genius to work out the conclusion of that one with the, the spine saying how yeah. they loaded more so they got more, in, their, their injury risk went up. That doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that it was a load issue as opposed to the position of the spine but the conclusion as you said said it was it was the position <laughs> yeah, i'd even yeah. hide the conclusion first and then yeah. check after yeah so check I, after. there's a disconnect then it's like okay i'll read the paper i think greg knuckles pretty much said that word for word like ages ago when i was kind of first getting into like how to read the literature uh greg knuckles put greg knuckles put out a guide on it and he said this exact same thing to pretty much hide the conclusion just read through the methodology Read through what the what what is the actually trying to find out first of all. Read through the methodology, then look at the results, then look at the conclusion. After you've yeah. kind of come to your own one and see if it kind of matches up there and then. Uh, I mean, I know people that go straight to the conclusion. It's like, well, look straight away. You're <laughs> there. You go. You're, you're you've you've already you've been convinced already. You know, without even looking at the actual results yourself first. Yeah. But you know, we live in a society. Oh, we do live in a society. You're right. Or uh, or alternatively, you can uh, send us an email of a topic, and then me and Tom will read it, and then we'll do a podcast on it. Save you all the time. I'll pretend we just, we just... to read it. I'll just look through the abstract. <laughs> yeah, look at the conclusion. <laughs> I'll do the opposite <laughs> of what we just said. I'll just go to discussion and just see what they think. <laughs> we'll read it. We'll read it out word for word in the podcast. Yeah, funded by uh, Big Goat Spine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Another good way would be to vet some sources that do um, analysis for you. Yeah. So, like, I think Stronger Plus Science is that the one, the great yeah. couple ones, Stronger yeah, yeah. Plus Science, right? Yeah, they have mass. Um, yeah, we use mass. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, we, we use mass. Yeah, so mass is great, but again, you got to vet it. So, I'd say if mm. you really want to make an investment because it's a big amount of money, I'd say the best way would be to check their conclusions and then seeing if you aligns with it feels logical to you. And if it does constantly feel logical, it's probably a good resource, right? Because mm. there's some bad um, uh, paper analysis groups. Like, I wouldn't tell you to subscribe to the Brooke Bush Institute personally. <laughs> yeah, I'll say we can mention names. That's you what was that that like, name did, was in my head earlier. <laughs> I feel like that, I feel like that's grown. Speaking of those like um, sort of research analysis things, I feel like they've they've grown quite a lot of those companies out there saying they'll do research analysis for you. Um, There's quite a few out think, there now. Yeah, I think it's good to have choice, but then as as Alexis sort of pointing out, is it's bad as well because you get a lot of fucking shit ones, and it's making it more difficult for people to find them. And the next thing you know, the opposite is ha- happening of what was meant to happen. <laughs> we'll get more. I mean, if someone has like a, a, a you know a certain particular interest or bias, then you know, it, for example, we just mentioned a certain institute. Then you know. If their work by data is based on a very certain thing and they're doing research analysis on, you know, their methodology, then naturally it's only going to go one way. I'd, I'd recommend things like mass, etc., because, you know, it's just random. You know, I've, I mean, don't get me wrong, I have a bias to drink coffee, but at the same time, it's like, uh, you know, like 
Unless we're getting, in fact, this is the wrong example to choose because technically we are funded by coffee, aren't we, Bill? We are, yeah, we are. We sponsored are by funded coffee by coffee, yeah. but you know, like I was going to say, are, no one really has a bias towards coffee, like to make sure coffee's doing well, big coffee. But you guys have a sponsorship for coffee. We well, actually do. Uh, like, I'll bring I up the coffee here we got. I, I couldn't have can, can, cannibal I, coffee. I couldn't <laughs> have thought of a worse <laughs> example to say that we're unbiased. <laughs> that did not work out well at all. Can, cannibal coffee, super strong coffee, primal ten get ten percent off. Yeah, but we're unbiased. <laughs> we're unbiased. Yeah, coffee. Yeah, coffee's great. Yeah, non non-biased opinion. <laughs> yeah, coffee sucks. Except this one. Buy it now. <laughs> yeah, buy it. Yeah. Everything else is shit. Exactly. De- yeah. Definitely unbiased. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely unbiased. Um, like I anyway, made fun pretty- of this guy who was. Um, he said he was a, a researcher and he he was the founder of the. Institute for subluxation. Oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, do you think he's going to be biased if he sees the negative results? Well, mm, yeah. I think so. Mm. Yeah. Oh, what a nightmare. Yeah. Haven't you got a... Have you, I'm sure I saw something about you. Haven't you? Aren't you involved in some research analysis stuff? I have a... Yeah, well, I mean, we're doing courses and I'm trying to build my course for uh, how to be evidence-based, like a course for oh, clinicians and coaches. Yeah. Um, and having like a journal club, but um, it's not finished yet oh, it's yeah. not finished yet okay cool That's and we have like a specific purpose it's just to teach exercise but we're very critical of like <laughs> what we do when like we have conversations about existential uh crises like every day wow. like ah, nothing works and we're like yeah okay hey here's a paper that like fucks with everything we like and we like yeah. we do share so i don't i think we're, we're biased like everyone else but i don't think we're the most biased um, but yeah, you were mentioning about some weird institutes popping up. There's, um, there's one, there's one in Australia that's like a, you have to pay like a large amount of money to be in it. And it's basically, um, I think it's like Heidi something from New Zealand. She has a PhD and she did some research and basically all, all her thing is to promote like why, like spinal manipulation is this magical thing that does all these things with like mechanistic studies. Honestly, the way I see it is, it's just some chiros and physios paying to, be told that you know no you don't need to change your mind actually there's evidence for this mm. completely fringe thing you still believe in even though it's 2022 so, so you're paying to be in an echo chamber basically is what you're saying exactly so they're, they're <laughs> gonna pop out you know there's the same thing for institutes for anti-vax it's just you know there's always if there's science there's going to be a minority and that minority usually makes a lot of money for being that minority opinion right yeah uh which is unfortunate but that's just the way it works what, what, what do we live in, Tom? We live in a society. We're paying <laughs> to be part of that niche echo chamber. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. We say that far too much in this podcast. I don't know if, if you've heard any other ones, but we, we say that pretty much every week now. It's become a running thing. Every week we say we live in a society. There's always something that fits every time. You're, you're, often, yeah. you're explaining a meme to a meme lord. What the fuck are you yeah, doing, Bill? Of course he knows. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> was, really was it really the tagline for the Joker movie? No, it was just a, it was a meme that went way out of control. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then for some reason it ended, it ended on our podcast somehow, and it's just become yeah. you know synonymous. When did we with even start now? that? When did we first say? It? I can't remember. I, I have no idea. Movie? It was with that movie. It must have been. Yeah, it must have been. We weren't funded by it. Like no, we, we ended really up saying it, stealing it, plagiarizing it. Anyway, I think that, that brings us on to a natural um, move on point to your Instagram, Alexis, because that is yeah. where we know you from. No bullshit physio, which is a very... Uh, that is straight to the point, isn't it? It's straight to the point. Yeah. It literally does you know, define your, your page. And it is that's how we know you from. Anyway, we've been following your stuff. Very entertaining. Um, what I really know is when did this meme thing start? Was your page always a meme page or was it just sort of you, you put a few memes out? Next thing you know, you've got loads of engagement and you've just sort of 
gone off of it all. Oh, uh, the, the latter one. So yeah, um, I yeah. I was posting like random like workout videos. I think during lockdown because I was bored, and then uh, <laughs> some like educational posts, and then randomly I started. I found out that it was easier to just post consistently if I just do jokes because it's easier. You don't have to do as much research. And then eventually I'm like circling back where I'm doing way more educational stuff. So I try to post something educational at least like a day or every two days, which before was like maybe I would do something educational once a week. Mm. But it'd be really, really researched. But I think I found a good balance now. Like I got way more engagement than I ever expected. Like I, I never <laughs> I have so many followers. But um, yeah. so yeah, that's where it's going. It was just like a random thing. And Brookbush, it started with, did it start with Brookbush or something? Yeah, that guy Probably. Was, always been. I had arguments with him on my private page, and then <laughs> it always been annoying. So I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna mess with this guy a little bit." Um, and then he got me a lot of engagement, and I just kept going because it was interesting to me, and I saw that it made people care about the evidence. I think I think you've done it the right way because we, we we've said it a few times now that evidence based stuff can be quite boring, right? And pages who try to grow solely on educational content, it's the whole thing of someone will post a picture of something fucking stupid, it will get a million views. But someone will post it and that's like really, really, you know, yeah. top notch, fucking really helpful health advice, it will get like two views because no one gives a like. People. It's such a simple thing to do as well because like you could spend ages making like a really Gucci looking infographic, yeah, for the point you're trying to get across. But you can then get that point across just as well beam. by posting, I don't know, a picture of Patrick Bateman, you know, doing <laughs> yeah. something and then having the study linked into the caption. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. it's more attractive and it gets yeah. more shares. And it's, you know, some of them, like the context just goes really well with the meme at hand at the time. But it's, yeah. it gets people's foot into the door. And then once yeah. they get the foot in the door, then as you said, you start posting other educational content because they're already exposed to it in a more entertaining way. They're like, oh, actually, what? What is it actually, you know, let's have a look at this more deeper stuff and you're going to get more people that way. So I think you've done it the right way anyway. Start the memes, then we start banging out the other stuff. I'm thinking of changing my approach. <laughs> Sometimes I do just educational posts. It's just I put it be between two memes. Yeah, um, sure. That's what because be you get people on the page and then when they're there, you're, they're going to see your page. So that's it's it, yeah, so foot, foot through the door, isn't it? Foot through the door. Yeah, exactly. And I think actually people are like, oh, you just do memes or whatever. But when I do an educational post, I get way more follows than anything else I do. It's just again, you gotta you gotta hit that balance, and people will appreciate it when you're like, "Hey, he's not just a joker; he's doing yeah. like more." Mm. Um, I mean, the context is always in the caption. Yeah, people don't read the caption. That's what yeah, I know. That's the problem. So, yeah, yeah so I media, don't use the caption anymore. Yeah. Except to be like, "Hey, don't cancel me if I say something controversial." Um, yeah. Yeah. What were we talking about? The memes. Forgot. Memes. We can talk about memes of an iPhone. Um, speak, speak, if, we, if we go on to this one, actually, I want to hear, know this. Who would you say is your most popular target when it comes to memes? Because you know, you, you know, you go after a few certain individuals with certain methodologies and things. Who is What's the most, most memeable person? Yeah. Who, <laughs> who is or, your or most memeable person? Or Institute. Or Institute, yeah. It's <laughs> a tough one. I mean, Functional um, Patterns has been getting a lot of shit lately. Yeah, <laughs> gets... I was going to say Functional Patterns, yeah. Does that get the, the most likes thing. and stuff, does it? Does that get the most likes and stuff, do you reckon? Or? No. But he's perfect because he's like the perfect combination of whatever I hate. He brings it on himself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm. I mean, I don't know if it's obvious, but like, I'm a pretty like leftist, quote, soy boy cut little guy. Like, yes. I, like I'm like I'm, I'm aware of it. Like I have friends who are like right wing, but I'm pretty, like I'm okay with it. If someone calls me like a liberal, I'm not a liberal. Even I think liberals are too left or too right. Sorry, I'm like. I'm on Canadian, so they're like every argument against whatever right wing yeah. is a uh, left wing is like, well, we do that in Canada and it works pretty well. Like, happiest place in the world for like a couple of years, whatever. Uh, my point <laughs> is, is like, 
now he's like the opposite. He's like, he literally quotes the guy I meme today, the Andrew Tate guy. <laughs> yeah. Who like basically his whole thing is like, hey, disrespect women and make money. It's like, okay, no, I'd rather respect women. <laughs> um, so that guy just obviously functional patterns. He hates yeah. women and he thinks he's like a player. He's not like he's a small, horrible little man. Little goblin, yeah. Which is fine. Literally, like, I don't yeah. Care if you're small, but he's <laughs> talking about alpha people, and he's like super small, and I could probably kill him like with like two hours of sleep in a week. Mm. Um, and I don't even train fighting, you know. The funny, he's just—he's literally a parody of himself. Yeah, he's a parody of himself. It's 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 you know I wish him good luck in like being a better person, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah if he changes that'd be good but i don't think he will i mean this is literally smeagol the way he moves is pretty interesting like honestly a lot of the things he does is like wow that's pretty cool yeah. and it's just i do a lot of edits so when i do an edit it's great because it's very dynamic and eye-catching but i can make, use use it to make fun of his approach um yeah and he also calls himself a scientist and he doesn't <laughs> honestly He's... when i talked to him he doesn't even know what an rct is he called it an rtc Twice. <laughs> RTC. Like, I'm not going to conduct an RTC. Those like, randomized yeah. trialed controls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking idiot. <laughs> I know all about those. <laughs> yeah. I don't know when people do that. It's like they, they, they criticize science, but you know yeah. they just have no idea what it is. Um, and I think he's a good example. So it's great. He's like an hypocrite. He's a sexist. He's um, He does things that are harmful. Yeah. So he crosses all my boxes. I think. I don't think there's one where. He, oh, if he. If he started making content about uh, being a, mo- a CEO and being mo- motivational, like I work, I wake up at 4 a.m. and I'm on my grind, I think it'd he'd, he'd be like, that'd be perfect. I'd have contents for years. Who would you say gets the most engagement in terms of like likes and comments and stuff? Like what person or, I don't know, like what or topic, for example, like, you know, what what, what gets, seems to get the most? Uh, by far, the most engagement I've ever gotten was Uberman. Because I think mm. not a lot of people meme him. Um, mm. But he really, like, when functional memeology caught him, he really like, yeah. fucked up. Basically, it was proven that he was lying. Mm. Um, and he didn't admit it. And I think a lot of people, like, when I put a post out where I was like, you know, this guy's fishy. He's, like, hitting all my, wow, this sounds fishy and suspicious alarms. Um, you know, I'm not a neuroscientist, so I couldn't do it. So I asked out for, like, a neuroscientist to collaborate with me, and no one came up. But a lot of people were like, hey, I don't want to collaborate with you, but he's full of shit. And a lot of people were like, hey, He's been hitting my bullshit alarm. So I think a lot of people were like, were waiting for him to do something stupid or mm. no, knew that he was full of shit, but didn't have the knowledge to do it. And he just went into the physio world with the exercise studies. And I was like, oh, you're in my niche, you're in my world now. Uh, and then I, you know, we were able to meme him. I think that's the one that, that we got the most. Because again, I think a lot of people had a suspicion about it and we kind of confirmed it. I think. Yeah, but so you're one of the first people probably to get on that. So that's, that makes sense for you to have like the most engagement. The funny thing, the funny thing is when yourself and uh, functional memeology, which as you can guess is another meme page, uh, jumps on the whole Huberman thing. Around that time that he started getting memed, I actually remember thinking, shit, I've actually cited some of his stuff like not so long ago. And I, I couldn't remember what it was I'd actually cited, but I was actually having panic attacks due to a meme page making me question myself, <laughs> thinking, shit, what if um, what if this this thing that I've cited is bullshit in the end? I can't remember what the fuck it was. <laughs> like, But a meme page kept me up at night, basically, making me uh, question myself, it's self-reflect. Weaponized, mate. Meme, meme warfare. Weaponized meme warfare, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he has some good stuff. I just think he yeah. goes out of his lane too much, which I think, again... I think people are not comfortable enough with being wrong. Like, it's okay. Like, I always tell people when, like, I'm going to be wrong and that's fine. And I'll admit it if I'm wrong. 
like I, even I'm trying to get Goda to do some research. I'm talking to some of the founders there. And I literally told him, it's like, hey, I'll do the Werner Herzog thing. It's like, if we do that RCT, I'm, I'm like, I'll help you design the, the R- RTC, and RTC. Yeah, right. RTC. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, if it turns out that Goda is better than physical therapy, I'm like, I'll burn fucking physio to the ground yeah. and I'll 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 go on live TV and see you shoot. <laughs> like, literally, you can film it and call me like, hey, stupid idiot was wrong and I'll, I'm fine. I'll be like, hey, yeah, you guys were true. right and we found yeah. something that's helpful for patients. But have you guys seen this, the, the, the Werner Herzog thing? I've seen um, like Gota getting absolutely hammered lately. Like, <laughs> no, but have you seen Werner Herzog eating a shoe? On, what? No. no, this. Let me Google this. Sure, what? No. <laughs> He's a right, filmmaker, and he. I don't remember. Yeah, I've seen, I think I've, it was like if X movie makes more money than my movie, I'll eat a shoe. Uh, oh my for god, real. it's he a real. Made that with the journalist, and the journalist won. He was like, oh okay. God. Like he brought a film crew and he, he ate a shoe. He cooked it before with herbs uh, and spices, and you see him eating it. Oh and there's a, it's a movie. Yeah, I can, I can confirm I am looking at it right now. It's, oh it's bald. God. He's like my idol. I love that guy. He's got some lovely go dinner etiquette. Yeah. He's a, I mean, his shoe's on the table, but that's the point. This <laughs> guy was shot during an interview and he didn't flinch. He was like, oh, I got shot. And then he kept on with the interview. Yeah, he's crazy. Oh. <laughs> Swear to God. You guys look it up after. Uh, Werner Herzog gets shot on the roof. <laughs> he is mental. I remember that, he was the one who did the documentary about the bear guy, wasn't he? Yeah. See it, yeah Grizzly Man. Yeah, Grizzly yeah. Man. Yeah, and he did a documentary yeah, did. on the internet, despite never having used the internet in his life. <laughs> what? <laughs> so the documentary is him discovering what the internet is. He's like, "That's mental." Oh, what he... is the internet? God, yeah. that's the craziest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Tom, I'm expecting it to be like one of those cake videos where people cut into fins and it's really a cake, but no, it's a yeah. real boot. So, <laughs> that's fucking mental. Anyway, um, we'll, we'll move it. We'll move this on. We are going to finish with a game. Well, we're going to finish this section of the uh, podcast with a game, Alexis. But first, I want to quickly ask. I'm sure you posted about this, but I did see some posts recently about the whole thing of people relying on experience and using that as a counter to science quite a lot recently. I think that's come to a big thing of like, yeah, this person's been in the industry for 40 years; they must know something. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that whole argument? Um, I think that's nonsense. If you look at the research, they did like a meta-analysis. I'd have to dig it up, but um, like basically research, uh, having more experience, so being out of school for a longer time is a predictor of worse outcomes. So um, I'll find the study, but basically um, I remember that if you're a cardiologist, so it, it was a university school too, so they're probably more up-to-date than general hospitals, but if you come, at, come about with a heart attack and you get handled by a cardiologist, every year that the doctor's been out of school is half a point uh, decrease, half a percent decrease in your chances of survival. Okay, so if your doctor has been out of school for 20 years, you have a 10% uh, smaller chance of survival. And usually it's because the amount of uh, scientific information we have is you can't digest it, right? So usually universities do that job for you. They're paid to do it. And then when you're a student, you're considered like somewhat up to date, right? Whereas the cardiologist doesn't have the time because he has a full caseload and he can't read all the research. I think physios can if they really want to, if they're really motivated, but I think most won't. Um, also think there's less, like, we don't have as much to know. We, we're just the musculoskeletal system, right? C- compared to a doctor who can't really. I still think doctors do a better job just because they're usually taught better and whatever, there's differences, but, so I think it's bad because if you look at the research, uh, research shows that experience is a pretty trashy argument. And uh, far enough that um, basically a narrative review of, randomized controlled trials where you compare it to experience so he he looked at theories in in medicine that were based on experience right uh no common sense sorry they're like oh that's just common sense right 
And he was like, every time we say that, basically, an RCT comes about and is like, hey, that we were wrong, right? <laughs> so there's like documentation that was like, yeah, the, obviously you could say, hey, that's from science if we did research using experience, but you can't really do that, right? Um, I think that's a stupid argument because, again, just there's no age where you can be wrong uh, or right. It's, so. quite, it's quite worrying hearing what, like, when you, when you actually think about it because to have experience in things is obviously you, just, you, you like to think is a good thing, but then. As, as you're saying there on paper, it's not really, it's not <laughs> really that good. So it's like, for fuck's sake, where's the balance? Because there needs to be a balance, surely, of like, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's the- an average, right? So it's like saying, you know, BMI is a predictor of poor health. But if you're a bodybuilder, or well, not a bodybuilder, but if you're like a weight a weightlifter, you're going to have mm. a higher BMI because you have muscles, right? Yeah, so it's, sure. it's more like that. So it's a risk factor for not being up to date but it doesn't mean you're not up to date. Some, some of the best clinicians I've seen have been in the yeah. field for a very long time, like Adam Beacons. I don't, he's really, really up to date. And he, yeah. I, I, won't, I don't want to say he's old. He's like, what, like in his 50s? Um, but yeah, there's some, like Peter O'Sullivan is older yeah. too. I think what we're trying to say really, probably the best way to say it is that if people are using the uh, the uh, argument of they've got loads of experience, so the science yeah. you're saying is bullshit because they've been doing it for four years. The yeah, answer might become a bit approach, of an issue. Yeah, yeah, ex- <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've been doing this for 30, 40, 40 fucking years, whatever. It's like that's when we, that's what we're saying is bad. If you're someone obviously, different, if someone is saying they've got loads of experience, obviously like Adam Meekins, for example, he's been had loads of years in the field, but is staying up to date, then of course they're not. The thing shit. with um, expe- <laughs> like experience is great. Experience is great, but it can also feed your own personal beliefs and bias. Yeah. 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 And experience is not reliable. So I often cite that study, but the Merkle bag, that um, a study, it was an RCT in 2011, where he basically asked, there was like um, a tune, right? It was just white noise. And he told them, hey, there's actually White Christmas playing, like the Bing Crosby song. <laughs> and uh, when you hear it, just press the button, right? And a third of the people pressed the button. <laughs> um, it was it was just white noise. So basically, it. People, are, your experience is not reliable because it's influenced by a lot yeah. of things, including like mm. wanting to confirm your bias. And then Plummer did a study in 2017 where if you ask people to look for scapular dyskinesia, so the improper, and I'm using quotation mark, but improper scapular movement of a shoulder, basically there's no way of, there, it's not reliable. It's a coin toss, right? Except if you tell the therapist which shoulder hurts, and then they have a 12% higher chance of saying, hey, this shoulder is not moving properly. So basically, people want to see see what they want to see, and it's influenced by the group. So your experience doesn't matter. Um, it's probably the least reliable one. So I'd say experience could be okay if you update it with scientific exper- um, like studies. If you're regularly browsing the scientific literature and you confirm it with your experience, that's okay. But using your experience as a like a bottom up approach, I, I'd say is a, is yeah, a way poor, to poor way, it? yeah, yeah, poor way to do it, yeah. So if we speak of people uh, who are doing things in a poor way, we're going to finish this section of the game, Alexis. So we're going to, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you some names, right? And we're going to rank these on, well, you're going to rank these on what you think the level of batshit craziness is in terms of spreading information, right? Obviously, we know these names, but you don't. Well, I know these names. I don't think Tom knows these names either. So I'm going to give you four names, and I want you to rank these one to four. One being the most fucking biggest anarchist in your in your point of view, uh, number four, they're all bad to be honest. So number four still shit, but it's the least shit out of the four. Okay, that makes sense. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah, for so one names? is the biggest culprit, right? Yeah, one is the one who's a total fucking nutcase. We're talking like, <laughs> yeah, they they, they are, they're the ones that you're gonna want to meme for the rest of your life, basically. Okay, right. Let's go. I'll give you the four names. So number one, squat you. Number two, Joel Seedman. Number three, move you. Number four, Athlean X. Joe, we should have just done Fuck, Mary Kill. 
Barry <laughs> 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 Kill. Yeah. So if you're always repeating That's those, Aaron's a good-looking guy. There you go. <laughs> Aaron's a good he is <laughs> husband material. Yeah. You said his shoes as well were fantastic. So fun. Um, okay. Um, Foot massages all around. <laughs> I think you're going to be surprised. I think you're going to be surprised. Okay. Um, Talk to me. I think Squat U is actually at the bottom. Sure. Right. Because Squat U does cite evidence sometimes, mm. which is something none of these have except Joel Seaman who quotes himself. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's asked every article. Sweet yeah. the article. Um, actually, that's really tough. So you said Joel Seaman or uh, Move You or. Athlete next. That's me next. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. Ooh, tough. Well, it's, tough, tough though. it's got to be between those. Oh. I'd say if uh, Athlete next is a third, because you okay. have some okay material. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, was it a broken clock's uh, right twice a day, isn't it? So Yeah, if you forget about the injury thing, I think Athlete next could give you okay training training advice. Like, I have some friends who did this program and enjoyed it. I don't think it's the optimal way to train, but that's besides the point. Um so I'd say athlete next third on uh, second would probably be um, who's that guy? Um, uh, wait, athlete next, and then uh, move you, and then uh, Joel uh, Seidman. Joel Seidman, yeah. So Joel Seidman is third. Um, third. I mean, he's a PhD. Let's give him some credit. Um, third. Did you say athlete? Didn't you say athlete next is third? Athlete next is third. Sorry, yeah. And then yeah. Um, Joel Seidman is second. Because okay. if you take away the 90 degrees thing, he's just a yeah. regular trainer, right? He just has yeah. this one claim hill that he's willing to die on. He, he's he's admitted that he does all of it for clickbait, basically, didn't he? Remember he did that thing where he basically said, I have to get myself out yeah. there, this is how I do it. Yeah, but it's interesting that he's not... Like, Squat U expands his bullshit empire. Him is like, he's he's just the 90 degrees guy. He's <laughs> yeah. running with it. Like, he's found that nicheness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think what we could do for harm's reduction is to get Squat U on ESPN... For for some one the one thing he's right about, and then he just keeps posting about this. <laughs> yeah, the one thing. So let's just find that one thing that Squat U's right about. Like yeah. Squat good, and then you cut the interview, yeah. and then every <laughs> yeah, every month it. or so you, you send him on ESPN, and you just you just post all of this. Squat's great. Um, and then or like you cut the, the bottom half of his tweets, right? Yeah. So it's like deadlifting and squat squatting is good, and then you you don't you don't put the <laughs> no, that's properly yeah. part, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, number one's definitely moves you. That guy's like openly anti-science. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have like what? screenshotted comments. What is his fucking like, problem with painting all over his on his all these the artwork? Paints cool. all his body, <laughs> the artwork. He, the amount of time he puts into the artwork on the people he has in these videos, it's like he's trying to make himself look super like clever. Like he knows what part of the body is. Like it's amazing that he knows that this is the bustle that's in that area. It's like well done, mate. <laughs> yeah, and I like how he he got. He got out of the because he he was constantly told constantly told that like oh you're sexualizing models and whatever. Now he yeah. just uses his wife, because oh, I was like, "It's my wife. I can do what I want." And like, literally did videos about sex. Like when he figured that out, I bet he was like, "Damn, I, I figured it out, guys." Um, but yeah, uh, the artwork is kind of weird. And what's funny is he thinks he's a trailblazer, but all he's saying is basically a physio education. Like if you went to physio school, it's like you go to physio school, you, you forget everything, you, you refuse to learn anything new. That's all his content. Like all the outdated yeah. He's got such a big following though. This is what pisses me off. He's, he's got people like him have got such a big following. It's so irritating. But he's a showman. But presentation is very, very good. Yeah, like, he's a showman. Production, really no, the production value I'd say is really good. Uh, and yeah. they're the only ones who do like the sound effect, even though the sound effects are terrible. But I think that's yeah. kind of thing that gets people, you know? Uh, and he's fun. He's, 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 he's very charismatic, um, which I think is helpful. Again, people connect for different reasons than what they should, right? 
uh, like you're engaging, you're charismatic. Um, and then you get your own little army of people and then the problem is if you ever question those people they've got like their own little fan club who just attack you and say you're a fucking idiot and it's like thanks <laughs> cheers and yeah. this is what happens isn't it? it becomes very hard to combat these people because they've got such a big following and you give um, them traction if you do yeah, yeah you do yeah yeah. that could be really difficult sometimes that you want to call out the bullshit but it's like at the same time do I want to be making people curious enough to go even see these people's like material in the first place? And in fact, that's actually one of the reasons why I really like the Barbell Medicine crew is that they have that attitude. I'm trying to take it on myself where it's just stop giving a fuck. And it's really hard sometimes. Like I really get frustrated when I know someone with like a big platform is bullshitting and I want to like post it and start underlining things that's wrong and put the citations underneath. And then, but then I think to myself, do you know what? Like I'm getting myself worked up over something which in the long run I'm probably going to do more damage by actually like making people curious curious enough to go and give these people a follow, so yeah. to speak. It's so really hard to find that balance, sometimes. isn't it? You've got to find that balance, I think. Yeah. So I've, I've just started like concentrating on when I... Well, I've not posted anything like nearly a year now, but like in my stories where I'm more accurate, I'd rather at least post good information, just put something out that way rather than necessarily be more aggressive with it. But maybe I should jump on the meme train. I don't know. Save that for the. I say save that for the meme lords, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think <laughs> when when people do this, it's like if you do it on your own page, I don't think you're giving giving them traction, and you're also inoculating them, right? Kind of like yeah. a vaccine against bullshit. Mm. But it is true. That I, I think the um, the the so far the I was reading a paper on this, but the, the misinformation prevention programs haven't been that successful. So like the big one they're they're promoting is like health literacy. So like being able to like know what science is and stuff like that, yeah, isn't as helpful as we thought. But you know, mm. uh, it, it's better than nothing, right? It's yeah, awesome. something at least. It's something. If we go back to the uh, back to the game, I just want to confirm the ranking <laughs> that Alexis gave. So at the bottom, we had Scott Yu. Yeah, surprisingly. He's doing okay. Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, yeah. I think he's a nice then, guy. Just Ron. <laughs> then we've got Athlean X at number three. We've then got Joel Sieben at number two, and then we've got Move You at number one. Brilliant bullshit. Thanks for playing the game. We are now going to move on to the final part of the show, Alexis. Unfortunately, our time is going to have to come to an end very shortly. Unfortunately, we've had so much fun as well, chatting shit about all things health and fitness. But we've got some secret questions now. This only really worked. I'm fully aware you've probably not read the questions that we were going to talk about anyway, um, which is actually two weeks in the trot now, um, which means these questions have all been secret to you, which means these are not secret questions. They're just more questions. So we're just going to finish with some more. We're going to finish with some more questions. So I want to just go into a bit of your your method. So you mentioned earlier you went to the uh, what was it the McGill McGill University, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. So I'm not sure if people are aware, but from your stuff online, I've seen that you're like you're basically a huge advocate for the the McGill Big Three. I want to talk us talk us through it. Why why do you prescribe that to your patients? Why you think it's such an important tool in the workplace? Um, and just talk us what is the the McGill Big Three? Why is it so important to you? Uh, did, did you see the research that shows that the McGill Big Three actually prevents cancer? <laughs> and it makes your penis three inches longer. <laughs> well, well, no, I was really surprised by the results. Well, well, I know that now. Yeah, talk about it. Depends on the range there. of flexion. Hey. <laughs> yeah, the range of flexion. Yeah, no, I had to make a little dig there about the. Uh, the I, I know that McGill University is in no way related to Mister Mister Pigspine, but I just thought I'd have, to, I'd have to make a little comment there about the big three. 
Um, you, like you want my opinion on it. Um, I think it, honestly, I use it with some of my patients. Uh, I just think the the problem with Miguel is use um, ergo propter hoc like reasoning, like Bostock reasoning. Um, so he was like, hey, my theory is that these exercises stabilize the spine. So if we do it and people get better, I'm right. People did get better, but it's not because it's stabilizing the spine. And the studies that have been done show that it doesn't stabilize the spine. So I just give it because it's a tolerable amount of movement and contraction of the sensitized yeah. muscles. You know, sometimes people are stiff in that region. So if you work it a little bit, they're yeah, probably sure. going to feel better. And it's usually a good port of entry. So I, I use it. Honestly, the bird dog, I use it a lot. It's a really boring exercise, but it's something anyone can do. Yeah. Uh, no, I actually agree with that. The movements themselves, I don't think are horrendous. I think it's the, it's the context in which they're given. Like, was it? We spoke about Tom Howe. It's actually coming to a military setting here in the UK. The stuff, yeah. The the, the, the the big three are coming into more of like a tactical setting. Um, um, and it, there's nothing more. I don't know if you're about to go on the assault course and then you start getting soldiers doing the big ill big three. I just can't really see. Uh, my my issue is so Alexis, exactly what you said there. It can be a really good entry it's lowering the barrier to getting people moving we have people especially like after injury back injury where they are really extremely fearful of movement now there's nothing inherently special about like these exercises that McGill big free but it can be utilized to like it's a, a nice entry into just making you realize that you can move without you know a nuclear cloud appearing above Tom, your back. Tom, do you want to just quickly say what these movements are? I'm, I'm fully aware. I don't think we've actually said what these, <laughs> what these oh, movements are. Oh, hell. What is this big three? What is this amazing? It's amazing. Is it? it's, it's, it's the bird dog. It's the, um, is, is it a sideline plank? Uh, side plank, yeah. Yeah, side plank. And the other one is the, um, oh, isn't it just the right? Someone help me out here. I don't remember. Is it just a regular plank? Isn't it? It's like, I don't remember. Make, Honestly, the, I have a plank too. Yeah. Oh, no, it's the curl up. It's the medial curl up. That's it, it's the curl up. For some reason, yeah. I went to say dead bugs, but no, that's something. I was thinking dead bugs, yeah, but I was thinking it's not no, dead it's bugs. No, it's the curl know, up. Yeah. Um, now, as we said, like there's there's nothing inherently wrong with these movements, but it's becoming more prevalent now in not just, a, not just a military setting, Bill, but just in general, where people are saying these are non-negotiable warm-ups before you do any kind of movement now. Before you get under the barbell, before you even think about touching the barbell, do the you big must do these out. big feet. Yeah. It is becoming more prevalent in military setting, which I'm starting to get really upset over because, you know, what is the last thing you want to do to a soldier or a tactical athlete is to make them feel like they're fragile? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you know what that stems from, though, Tom? It's because... Obviously, it, not not in too long recent history. The arm, the army's had huge problems with like uh, musco, uh, musculoskeletal skeletal injuries, and that's yeah, just due to been bad loading. Acutely loaded, yeah, acutely loaded, of course. Quickly. But they've said that basically they're coming down now. The spine needs to be more resilient. All the soldiers' spines are getting hammered, so they've gone down. Some of them have gone down the route of the big three will solve all these problems. It's like no, stop putting forty kilos on someone's back and tell them to do fifty miles in like in a fact, day. You're doing quite <laughs> the opposite. You're actually. Yeah, providing that nocebic narrative where actually you're yeah, sure. making them, you're changing their perception. You're giving them the, the the thought process that oh shit, no, I'm going to get injured because I've not done these particular movements before training, etc. But that's why I've got a big gripe against it. Not the exercise themselves, but the narrative behind it. Bloody Miguel. Um, funny enough, Bill, you actually stole one of my secret questions because I was going to talk about the big three in the context of when to use it. But I told you this. I told you I, I was going to ask this question. I know, but I'm I got a memory of a fucking goldfish. But what I was going to actually talk about was more about like the whole straw man arguments that get made. So like just because we... So for example, just because I make an argument against the narrative behind 
the McGill big three exercises or any other kind of warm-up protocol like that, let's say, people straw man me straight away and will say like, oh, you're saying that it's a bad exercise. It's like, no, I'm not saying it's a bad exercise. I'm just saying like the narrative from certain people is bad. You know, I mean, Alexis, you must get straw manned all the time. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, that must be a silly question for me to ask that because, yeah, I'm just assuming that's something you deal with all the time. Kind of get straw manned on often, like a particular stance. Um, biggest one is like pain science is just telling people that pain is in their it's head. It's all in your head. <laughs> I had a conversation mm. with PhD, you know, I thought he was joking at first. He was like, no, pain is a, what the fuck was it? Is a sensation. It's not a perception. I'm like, it's both. Like, what the fuck? Like, everything that you feel. It's, it's in your brain at some level, right? But it doesn't mean that there's nothing physical. I don't think anyone has that debate. I was like, it's. I think it was on the Jared Powell. I love Jared Powell, and I, I want that debate to happen. But the whole thing, I was like, why is this a debate? Like, it's obviously both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was, it literally told me, well, if you don't understand the difference, you're going to tell patients that pain is in their head. And I'm like, are you, are you so, fucking kidding? Like, Brooke Bush is the one that told me that last it's, time. It's uh, like, yes, but actually, no. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, it depends. Uh, well, it's like, yeah. um, are you going to phrase it that way? Like, to some level, like, everything is in your head. Like, if you don't have a head, yeah. you're dead. Like, okay. Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean, usually what I tell people, and the way I phrase it is, like, it's it's not in your brain, it's in your nerves. And that's accurate, and that's physical. Like, you know, your nerves are sensitized, and maybe some damage, but it's more of a risk factor than the cause of the pain. Like, uh, it's just I tend to, I tend to work with, like, the general public a lot. And when I kind of say, like, look, pain doesn't always equal tissue damage it's like you see like the screen just come down over their eyes like what that makes no sense it's like no no look if you're in pain if you are in pain then you're in pain and no one can tell you otherwise it's a very subjective experience but you know aside from traumatic damage you know there's certain things that can influence your pain we see it a lot with things like uh the spine in general like um oh you're you're slouching you're gonna you're gonna be in pain you're gonna hurt your back being in that position yeah. oh you're picking up your groceries from the floor with a bent spine you're going to eventually hurt your back you're going to blow your spine out all these things change your perceptions and your beliefs which can affect your sensitivity to pain in the long run so yeah when that, that's something that does get straw manned with me a lot as well is that yeah pain's all in your head that's what you're that's what i'm saying pain's all in your head it's not like no <laughs> yeah talking of pain like so what one of your thoughts on this is a few people i've been working with at the gym and i'm hearing this sort of statement quite a lot now I've said oh, I've always had I've always had pain here and it just always niggles and it seems to just come up now and again it's come up here when I've been doing this squat I've always had pain here for years like, that must be something you've come across before people just send them up and I always think they're kind of psyching themselves out like they say they've had pain there for years they've never dealt with it but they just it just seems to pop up now and again like what, what's been your what would you say your experience that has been um the the way I explain it when someone says that and like usually the way they'll phrase it is I've, I've got a bad back I've got a bad knee yeah yeah um hmm. First of all, the main predictor of an injury, of a re-injury, is a previous injury, right? Previous injury, yeah. And if you look at pain, it's the same thing. So if you have had pain before, there's a higher likelihood that you have pain there than someone who hasn't. So I'm like, it might not, maybe you have some damage. And sometimes, honestly, if you look at back pain, there's probably, like, there is in some populations, if you have, like, early disc degeneration, it is symptomatic. It's not in older people. So past 50, like, the Brinksky study from, I think, 2017 shows that, you know, it's very common. So basically every decade you've been alive, there's that amount of chance that you're going to have a, this problem, right? So like if you're 80, it's 80%. If you're 90, it's like 90%, right? And that's in the asymptomatic population. But that means that like if you're 20 and you have early disc degeneration, you're more likely to have pain, right? So the way I phrase it, it's like, it's like having hypertension, right? So 
doesn't mean you're gonna have a heart attack, but you have a higher chance of having, you know, a heart attack or having pain. So um, it's much more of a risk factor. So maybe these people, maybe uh, way I would explain it is like maybe there's something physical. Like maybe you have a small meniscal tear, maybe you have a little bit of arthritis. It doesn't mean you're gonna have. All, you're always gonna have pain, but your likelihood of having pain is a bit higher. Yeah. The other thing might be that you know you there was an injury. It's completely healed, but it's, it's been left sensitive after. Um, the bout of acute inflammation. So that's usually how we explain tendinopathies because we see that the dominant um, mechanism is the tendon being like sensitized locally, but also centrally, so whatever. The way I explain it is, you know, there was a lot of inflammation at the beginning. Maybe there's a little bit of scar tissue, which doesn't affect the mechanical properties of the tissue real, uh, in practical ways. Like you're not going to jump. If we put you on painkillers, you could jump and run the same way, right? But what's happened is the nerve has been left sensitized from the acute inflammation. So the inflammation is probably gone. The damage is inconsequential, but the nerve itself physically is more sensitive. Um, and that tends to pop back up, right? So uh, I'd say like some people have like some triggers, right? So yeah, I, I, I use the, sometimes I use the traumatized kid analogy. Sometimes I use the hypertension analogy. I think the depends on the patient. Like if the patient's been traumatized, yeah. he probably won't use the analogy. But um, like if you have daddy issues, right? You're more likely to have, issues in dating right doesn't mean you can't have a functional marriage yeah, or whatever sure. but it's yeah, gonna sure. pop back up especially in periods of stress right you're gonna have coping mechanisms gonna pop up and pain is a coping mechanism in a lot of cases so yeah analogies are powerful but the most important thing is if you talk to patients and i think that's like motivational interviewing you need to validate before you educate right that's a really common saying so i'll say first of all your pain is very very real yeah and, and then i try to explain what's happening in the brain with physical Problem. So that's why yeah. I put the emphasis on the nerve and I say like there's something going on there and yeah. then you explain how we can change it, right? So you explain, you validate, you explain and you give a solution. It's like, hey, it's been sensitized, but we can desensitize it the same way if it's a learned pain, you can unlearn the pain. So you can change their perception to it almost. Yeah. And people, when you ask them what they want out of the physio, they tend to really like that metaphor, the fact that you can relearn your pain, like unlearn the pain. Sorry. Mm. They like it because it puts the locus of control inside of them. And something they appreciate. Oh. What is that common solution? Then, obviously, I, I know everyone's very different. It's, you can't obviously give like a solution to every single individual. What would you say is like the most common solution to these sort of this, these sort of issues? Tell them to do their big three. <laughs> Can you be more specific? <laughs> like what issues? Or what do you mean? So, like for example, the one we just talked about there. So you're saying about the, the tendon things, but you can desensitize them to the pain. How how would you go around that in like a simple way, just for people listening? Basically, the the way I explain physio very simply, if I have to give like an elevator pitch, is uh, you find what's the trigger of the pain. Right, so it could be squatting or whatever. You break it down, and you find a tolerable version of that, and then you gradually expose the patient to it. Right, so if yeah. we'll take yeah. a very simple example, if someone only has pain bending down, right, let's let's say the knee hurts, you're going to reduce range of motion, you can reduce intensity, mm -hmm. you can reduce the frequency, uh, you can reduce the speed. Basically, you find something that's as close to the goal the patient has, which might be I want to squat like 100 pounds. Right, you reduce the variables that you want that you can and then you try to make the squat uh sensitive like less like tolerable basically so it, maybe it's either painless or there's very little pain and then you can gradually move back to that squat um, yeah. so the same way you train someone who's never squatted i'd say so you're not cutting the movement out completely you're yeah. just uh, adapting at, it yeah. through variables as you said like rom etc so you're you're actually exposing them to it finding an entry point and desensitizing them that way yeah, there are just exceptions, obviously. So if there's acute trauma or something, um, if there's... When there is actual physical, yeah. Obviously, yeah. I will wait. 
Um, if it's one weekend, sometimes if it's just one weekend, I'll just tell walk it out, walk it off and just do some range of motion. I won't load them the first week. Cause sometimes there's some, uh, like for tendons, there's cases where it's actual tendonitis. Yeah. Um, or it's just like inflammation. And after a week, they're completely fine. But there is like a biological plausibility there that if you kept loading it, despite the inflammation, you're going to make it worse and it can turn into a tendinopathy where it remains chronically painful, right? Usually yeah. perfectly got more careful, but if it's been like two weeks and you still have pain, it's probably a good idea to start it. loading it gradually once the red flags have been like rooted off by a physio or another healthcare professional can do that. They're like, hey, you have nothing severe. If there's damage, it's minimal. Then you can probably start loading it back up with uh, someone. Cool. Yeah, I think that's really, really important. I, I want to just highlight a couple of points there. I was, I was hoping you'd say that. I'm glad you said some of that stuff because even I'm not a physio, I normally give that similar advice in terms of movement. So thank fuck for that. <laughs> I'm not I, say, I give the two week rule sometimes as well. So I'm happy yeah. to hear that. My yeah, body's like, confirmed. Fuck thank God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but you keep them <laughs> walking though. It's, it's, it's good. They're, especially yeah. for like ankle sprains and stuff. The earlier they walk, the better they are. Um, yeah. I wish I knew that at the beginning when I sprained my ankle. Yeah, so tough. I rested up and when I got back on my foot it was like yeah I was just so highly sensitive to the pain it was horrendous yeah it can be tough as you said move, move. I think really to highlight be more is just movement is key there I, I think a saying I like to say so I don't, I don't know how medical it is Alexis is uh, motion is lotion it is accurate uh, yeah. that's, that's another yeah. making saying actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have to find one about dosage like uh, I don't know uh, poisons in the dose, but like, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what we say all the time on this podcast. We literally, when we do, we did um, we did a podcast on um, we've done one on is it like artificial sweeteners and all sorts, yeah. and we literally say constantly the poisons in the dose because it yeah. is, it's always in the dose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Goldilocks effect: too hot, too cold, just right. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Thanks for that, uh, Alexis. Thanks for joining us. It's been, it's been a good, yeah, it's been, been, a been awesome. Pleasure. I would highly recommend anyone listening if they do like our content, they will love um, the meme warfare that goes down at. Uh, <laughs> no bullshit physio on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we need more shit posting in this industry, but educational shit posting. On it. Yeah. 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 Me more the, the future. <laughs> thanks for having me, boys. Keep doing what yeah, you're doing, no, Alexis. It's been a pleasure. As always, thanks for listening. Now, I think as we briefly mentioned some coffee in the podcast, it makes sense to add more context. We mentioned some top tier performance inducing coffee and that coffee is Cannonball Coffee. And I know loads of you guys out there have already been getting stuck in. So if you've not, what you need to do is head over to cannonballcoffee.co.uk and in the checkout, use the discount code PRIMAL10 and that'll get you 10% off your order and it also helps us with the running of the podcast. So yeah, wins all round. Why should you get this coffee, you ask? Well, if you want all the details, we did do a whole podcast on this with the owner, Duncan, over at chatshitgetfit.com slash coffee. So I'll definitely check that out. But essentially, it's a great tasting coffee that packs a serious caffeine punch, making sure that mentally and physically, you are going to be unstoppable. So yeah, ascend to a higher plane of performance and grab some Cannibal Coffee at cannibalcoffee.co.uk. We will see you next week, same time, same place, for a brand new episode. See you soon.